0: You're listening to the Inspired Legacy Podcast on the Edify Podcast Network. This is episode 78.
1: Put God first.
0: Hey guys, it's Mark, your host and founder of the Inspired Legacy. As always, this is the show that equips and inspires you to leave a godly legacy. This show is coming up on its third anniversary It's a baby podcast, I know, compared to a lot of the shows out there. But in that time, I've had the privilege to talk with some amazing men. But today's guest ranks near the top, for me anyway, in terms of everything that comes out of this guy's mouth is pure fire. I guess, put another way, I just really enjoyed this conversation. Today, you guys are going to hear from Jim Ramos. He is a nationally sought-after keynote speaker podcaster, and former pastor. In late 2012, after two decades of full-time local church ministry, Jim resigned from his pastoral position to launch Men in the Arena. And this is a ministry with the mission of building an army of men who want to become their very best version of themselves in Christ. And today, Men in the Arena has equipped and inspired men from 122 different nations. In addition to the resume that I just mentioned, Jim is also an Amazon number one best-selling author with, get this, 11 books to his name. And today we are unpacking his most recent book titled Strong Men, Dangerous Times, in which Jim outlines five essentials every man must possess to change his world. Now, I want you guys to Get comfortable, find a place where you can listen to this episode and take some notes because Jim's message is both powerful and relevant to what's going on in today's culture. And I believe if you guys really take this stuff to heart and apply it, it's going to help you understand manhood at an entirely new level. Jim, welcome to the show, buddy.
1: Hey, man, I'm excited to be on, Mark. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. We have followed you from afar for a while. It's exciting to have you on, exciting to dive into today's topic. But before we get there, you know, not everybody watching or listening may know who you are. So take a couple minutes, tell us who you are and specifically what you've got going on at home in terms of like your dad life.
1: Yeah, totally. So uh, I was just asked yesterday to be the Linfield University Football chaplain. Very cool. My son is actually a four-year varsity starter as a punter of all things, and so they asked me the same question. They said, "Hey, tell us a little about yourself." And so here's what I said. I said, "I am the son of the one true King. I am the husband of a beautiful woman. I am the proud father of three fine sons. I love to hunt. I love the outdoors. I believe most men are soft. I believe to swim against the grain. I believe to make decisions against yourself." I believe in finishing strong. You know, these are things that really comprise who I am, right? I, I believe a, a, a man is as a man does. I believe when a man gets it, everyone wins. And that's really who I am. I'm a 55-year-old guy. Um uh, I've, I'm kind of, you know, trying to hang on to that youth. You know, earlier in the year, I had a goal to bench press 225, 20 times. I actually did it pretty fast. Oh, wow. So now my goal as a 250-pound man, I'm trying to My goal is 50, uh, 20 push-ups or pull-ups at the end of the year. And I'm right about 15 right now. So
0: that's legit. To, you know,
1: st- stay in the game, stay healthy, uh, be my best version. I'm really, really committed to John 1010, which I'll tell you about John 1010 at the end of the podcast. But John 10.10 10 says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. And so that's really my driving force. My wife is a flight attendant, and we travel everywhere. I have uh, three grown sons. They're 23, 25, and 27. The 27-year-old is getting engaged this weekend.
0: <laughs> Don't tell the 25, anybody.
1: <laughs> the 25-year-old got, a, got married last month. I do have a granddaughter, and we are taking her to my hometown, San Luis Obispo, California, this weekend for her first plane flight. And to see her first sea lion, and to go to the coast, so that's that's who I am.
0: That's I love awesome.
1: I love my family. I'm deeply deeply committed to my family, and I believe that success in life is that those who know you the best respect you the most.
0: Mm. Man, there's a lot there to unpack. I know,
1: I know. <laughs> I'm a complicated guy.
0: Okay, before I forget, you're 250 pounds. How tall
1: are you? I'm six foot two fifty four this morning, dude. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm not, I'm a, when I was born, uh, my mom always tells me this story every birthday. She calls me, Oh, Jimmy, it was like giving birth to twins. (laughs) My chest was bigger than my head. When I came out, (laughs) normally the head is bigger than the chest. So they had to she said it was like giving birth to twins. And so, you know, I got made fun of when I was a young guy. My chest was so big. But when you start bench pressing 400 and you're a full ride scholarship in football, you go, hey, the chest isn't such a bad deal. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so that's me. I'm trying to keep myself under those 40 jeans. I'm still at 37, 38, you know, so just hanging on, baby.
0: <laughs> it's a good thing you're a good Christian man because I wouldn't want to run into you in a dark alley if you were anything other than a, a good guy.
1: <laughs> oh, man, you know, it's funny when people... When people go, well, how do I recognize you and your wife? I go, beauty and the beast, baby. Just look for beauty and the beast.
0: <laughs> so where did you play ball?
1: I played uh, in California, Santa Clara University. And so we would be in the same division as North Dakota State. Oh, right and on. In fact, in fact, one year we did play them. They won the Natty, you know, and we were right, you know, semifinals. And they, you know, of course, go through and crush everybody on the way to the Natty.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah and for and those they, listening
0: context I'm in Sioux Falls South Dakota so North Dakota state is uh very familiar with uh South Dakota state which is just north of where I live so
1: Yeah those two guys are rivals so we so the league that they're in would have been the league that my team was in but we lost the football program to girls soccer Oh uh, Title 9 yeah back in uh, about 92
0: Yeah well Yeah I could go down a rabbit hole on that one. Um, <laughs> I know. I, was, I, almost said, I
1: almost said all my kids played Spocker until they started playing sports, but I decided not to.
0: <laughs> it's interesting that your son is a punter because I, I have to remind I know. My, my son is, a, is big into football. It's really the only sport he cares about. And, of course, every little kid thinks they're going to go play in the NFL. And I'm like, buddy, the chances of that happening are very, very slim, unless you are a good kicker or punter. Like, and then you've got a legit opportunity.
1: Well, and my son, I always tease him. I go, "Hey, man, you're barely a football player, so just come on." <laughs> but he's, I, I just tease him. But he's a he's a phenomenal athlete. He kicks and punts. And uh, in fact, two years ago, he was the number one ranked punter in the whole nation for Division three football. Wow! For a while, but his team wins so many games, he doesn't get enough punts. Oh, sure. And so he doesn't get the recognition because the teams that get the kids that are all all uh, division are the bad teams
0: sure yeah no that makes sense that makes sense
1: yeah. so uh, he's just, uh, finishing up his senior his senior year
0: very exciting stuff man well let's dive in because like I said like you outlined uh, there's a lot to unpack there today we're going to be diving into your new book and for those listening I'm holding it up on the screen here it is called Strong Men Dangerous Times and a very much needed book in uh, everything that we've got going on in the world today you know, most would consider that 10 books is probably enough, you know, I could probably call it good after 10 books. So yeah. what led you to write your 11th book? Cause this is your 11th book. What prompted you to write this one?
1: Yeah. And my 12th one is almost done here. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So I, I have a message inside of me that, that God has put in me. I had a, uh, you know, when God called me to work with men, it was a radical thing and I've just got something I got to say, and so the best way for me to do that is I love to write, and it's just to to speak it on to speak it to men on paper. Uh, I'd love to do some audio stuff eventually, where guys can get audible books because a lot of our guys uh, are guys who are in the stress bubble of life and they're driving, don't have time to read. Mm-hmm. But I just think that we live in a day and age when men have been vilified, and it's men's it's their fault. Yeah, and I believe we live in a day and age where men have been identified as the problem, and it's true. But I believe with all my heart that men are also the solution. If you have a problem, the solution lies in that same catalyst that created the problem, right? And so if we can fix the men, I think we can fix our world. And and I wrote this book because men are really confused. You know, I'm seeing personal pronouns put in front of the email names now, he, him, hers, whatever. I'm seeing all this crazy stuff. I live in Oregon, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. And um, men need to a target to shoot at. So you're a hunter, Mark. So if you, when you're sighting in a rifle, you 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 usually take that gun and bore sight it. And then what I do is I go to 25 to 50 yards and I shoot once I bore sight it. And I try to just put the bullet on paper. And then I back up to 100 and I try to put a three shot half inch group on paper. So this book is that first section where you put that bullet on the paper. The book I'm writing uh, right now will be out in on Father's Day next year. It's called The Full Capacity Man. That's really dialing it in. But what we've done with this book is we've said manhood is five things. So if you're going to shoot at the target of manhood, you have to do these five things. These five things make up a man. And in the book, we use a mountain illustration, a climb, and a descent to give guys a word picture. So that's the whole purpose, man, just to give guys a target to shoot at in this day and age where – Men are confused.
0: Mm. Amen to that. And we're going to get to those five things here in a little bit. Um, I'm always curious what goes through the minds of an author when they write a book. How did you land on the title?
1: So it's funny that I wrote this book before under the title, the man card. Okay. Thinking, Hey, give me your man card. If you don't do these five things, give me your man card. And I realized it was catchy, but not timeless. Mm. And I wanted to uh, get, put a Title out there that was timeless but catchy. You know, my wife likes to dress trendy but classy. So I wanted the book to be a book that in 10 years, 20 years, you could go, oh, wow. Because I think we've been living in dangerous times for hundreds of years, for thousands, you know, forever. So dangerous times is not about this toxic masculinity garbage or all this stuff going around. We're in dangerous times, period. And so we need strong men. And strong men are different than weak men, just as men are different than males. And that's why I put that title together. Do you want to be a strong man or a weak male? And so strong men, dangerous times. It is dangerous to be a strong man. It's kind of like that trophy mule deer. That trophy mule deer is hunted like no other mule deer. People go after that mule deer because there's nothing like a 190 mule deer. They pass up the little forkies all the time, right? That's like the, that's like the weak male. Nobody cares about that guy. He's anonymous. But that guy who's in the game, guy like you, Mark, who's doing a podcast, you're a business owner, you know, there's a target on your chest. People are coming after you. And so, I, you know, we welcome that, right? Because that's what men do. But there's a strength that has to happen when you come against resistance. Like I'm trying to pull this big old body up 20 times on the pull-up bar. That resistance is very, very difficult. But the result of that resistance is strength.
0: Right. And as men, especially Christian men, when we run into that resistance, it's usually a sign that we're doing something right. We're doing something that the enemy is afraid of.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, I just had a guy on, I posted a video. I was on the New Mexico, Colorado state line. I posted a video from the book I'm writing and one of the chapters about being devout. And I said, Hey, three things the Bible teaches in the original Greek. The three things that a devout man does is he goes to church regularly He serves others faithfully, and he lives a holy life biblically. And I had a pastor, a pastor in Greeley, Colorado, call me out and say, hey, I hope you fall. This is garbage. Why don't you stay in the desert? And and so I just reached out to him personally. And I'm like, why would a pastor, a fellow brother in Christ, wish this on me? And it came down to, well, I don't think the Bible Teaches that you have to go to church to to be devout or do these things you mentioned, and I'm like, well, I don't want to go to your church, bro. Yeah, no joke. But what I but I but I wasn't angry, Mark. I was happy. I'm like, I want to be persecuted. I want people to come after me because that's when I know I'm doing something right.
0: Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. The audience for your book books, I probably can say that safely, mm-hmm. um, as as well as my audience serve Christian men. And I would guess that I have, I'm still reading this thing, but um, how does your book speak to a guy who's maybe not all in on Christianity?
1: Yeah, totally. So what we did, Mark, when we crafted this target for men, I wanted to be very careful because a lot of times, as you know, in the church, we have our own little Christianese language. yeah, And so we speak Christianese and we don't necessarily speak truth. mm we 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 think everything happens in our Christian world. Like I've heard stuff like this. You can't be a real man to be a, and be you, without being a Christian. That's not true. I know a great men who are not Christians. Yeah. And I know horrible men that are. So we wanted to we wanted to cross demographic lines, uh racial lines, uh timelines. We want to cross every span of of that we could think of and come up with a definition of manhood that was true. And so in doing that, four of the five things that we list have nothing to do with God per se. You, when you hear them, you'll be like, oh, this makes sense. But the apex of manhood is ultimately Jesus Christ, which is our which is our third point. So we do have that in there. And I'll tell you a funny story. So I tell a story in the first chapter of the book about a couple that went out to get Kentucky fried chicken. And in the box of chicken, uh, there was no chicken. It was just money. And when the guy went to turn the money in, the the, the the manager was so impressed. He wanted to call the news and say, I want to bring you on the news. I've never met somebody with such integrity in my life. And the guy goes, no, you can't do that. He goes, no, no, I've never, I can't believe you returned the money, thousands of dollars. And he goes, you, buddy, you can't call the news. He goes, why? He goes, see that woman over there in the car with me? He goes, yeah, that ain't my wife. <laughs> so, so, But I had a guy from, must have been from India. He had a, an Indian name and he said, I really liked your book, Mr. Ramos. But I did not like the part. That it got boring in the middle, and the middle was the God part. Mm. And he said, "I just really think that you should take the part out of the book that talks about the fried chicken, because all of us are equal, <laughs> even the chickens." He so he was offended by the chicken part. Interesting. And I thought, <laughs> "Oh, you're not going to like my next book because the opening scene is I'm carrying a dead deer out of my shoulders in a hundred degree weather." So he probably won't <laughs> like that part. But that, but so our audience does attract multiple you know guys from all over the place. But we wanted to make sure our definition of manhood was not only biblically true, but culturally true, globally true. And so, yeah, I think it really, and I write in a language that I think men really can relate to, especially men who live in small towns who are outdoorsy, you know, that kind of guy. I really don't appeal to the city guys. I mean, look at the wall behind me, you know, (laughs) you know, I appeal to the small town guys. I have appeal to guys in South Dakota. Those are my guys.
0: Right on. Well, it is very relatable. I'll, I'll give you that. I, it, it's a good read. Yeah. The The subtitle is five essentials every man must possess to change his world. Now, somebody who hears that or has read it might consider or think uh, that there's more than one way to skin a, t- a cat, so to speak, right? So mm-hmm. what makes the five things in the book um, essential, quote unquote?
1: Yeah. So again, when we were defining what a man is, we thought, okay, what, what things must a man implement to make him so? In other words, what does he actually do? Men come in all shapes and sizes. I know men who are round. I know men who have to wear shoes to not fall through the cracks in the cement. I know men who drive Priuses. I know. I know some. I know men who drive lifted trucks. I know men who hunt. I know men who are vegans. I know men who are liberal. I know men who are conservative. I mean, men come in all shapes and sizes, but we realized there were five things that if a man does these, he really sets himself out apart from other men. And and those five things build upon each other. And uh, so we, and it took about four years to dial these in. We started with uh, four things and changed two and moved them around and You know, I read about 50 books a year. And so through my reading and research and all the things, I realized these are the five things.
0: This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. Oh, uh, well, we have been dancing around these five things yeah. for a while. So if you're comfortable listing the five things, let's do that with, if you can do so without giving away too much of the book.
1: Yeah, totally. So imagine you're climbing a mountain, you're climbing a mountain. I'm getting ready to go on a backpack elk hunting trip with my kids, my two oldest sons. So we're going to start at the trailhead. We're going to drive our rigs up. We're going to park. And at the trailhead, we're going to start this climb. Oh, it's not a climb. We're going to go uh, up East Creek Trail. It's a flat trail for about two and a half miles. And then we're going to climb. And that's the grueling part. And that's the part that makes me nervous because I'm already a big dude. I already outweigh my kids by 80 pounds. Oh, wow. So we're going to climb and hunt as we climb. But this, this bull we're hunting in, in the so high, it has a summit and that's as high as you can go. And then once you get to the summit of this bowl, we have to kind of turn around and f- hunt the other side of the bowl. We begin to descend. And we descend and hunt all the way back to the truck or the end of the trail. So that those are the five stages of really any progression when you climb a mountain, right? You have the, you have the trailhead, you have the climb, you have the summit, you have the descent, and you have the trails in. And this book draws that out. And so the first most foundational component of manhood. Do you want me to give all five or just the first one?
0: Uh, this is your show at this point. You can do whatever oh, you want. <laughs>
1: funny. So let's just do this. Let's just do this. The first aspect of manhood, the trailhead of manhood, the starting point of manhood. Now think about this from a secular standpoint. It is protecting integrity. And every, every one of our definitions has a, a progressive tense, verb tense, protecting. Mm-hmm. protecting integrity. You know, that is the foundational part of it. If a man is not a man of integrity, he loses an aspect of manhood. We've seen these guys lately falling morally, these mega church guys. Yeah. Right now, there's a podcast out about the fall of Mars Hill, you know, going after uh, the pastor there. You know, those that all of those things relate to integrity. And so, I believe that integrity is two things. It is the foundational component of manhood, As a man trying to leave an inspired legacy, I'm never going to raise my kids to be liars, cheaters, stealers, adulterers, government-supported, lazy gluttons. I'm never going to do that, right? I want those kids to be men of honor. It is the foundational component of manhood, and it's also the functional component of manhood. We look at Adam and Eve in the garden. They're naked and have no shame, the Bible says, right? I mean, can you imagine that? Yeah. So. As soon as they sinned and sin entered the world, they started covering up. Now imagine, what does it look like to cover up Everybody, I, I got thrown out of the locker room when I was in high school, naked. So I started doing this thing.
0: <laughs> He's crouching. I'm, covering, down. The, I'm yeah. covering
1: the package, right? And so they start covering up. They start bending over. They aren't upright. In the book of Job, God calls Job numerous times upright. He's upright. He's upright. He's, upright. He's a man of integrity. So we, as the human species, are the only creatures that God has made to walk the planet earth with our sex organs exposed. Mm. We are made to stand upright, sex organs exposed. There's no other animal like us besides Sasquatch. <laughs> so so sh- sin causes us to hunch over and cover up, but the man of integrity walks upright on full display before the world. He's his best version and his authentic self. And he says, come at me, bro. There's nothing I have to hide. And so that's the foundation of manhood. It all starts there because it doesn't matter what you believe. If you lack integrity, you lack the greatest gift a man can give another man. And that's respect.
0: 100%. And I agree that this this has earned the right to be number one because I feel like, especially today, and it's probably always been this way, but protecting integrity, it's almost like trying to wrestle a greased pig. Right. Everything that we <laughs> yes. everything that we are exposed to in the media and in the world tempts us to do what it takes to win, right? Get the good looking girl just just cheat a little bit and it'll be worth it in the end. And you know, just tell this little lie and and we almost reward the outcomes of lacking integrity, not not outright, but in a roundabout way. It's kind of a, a, Satan has a sneaky way of, of getting us to, to lose our integrity for sure.
1: Well, I coached football with a guy who got fired after his first season, second season for cheating on his wife with the equipment manager. Mm. And I remember at a practice one time, him yelling at the kids, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And I remember I yelled back at him. What about marriage? (laughs) You know, I don't know where that comes from. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. That's just ridiculous. It is. Yeah. You're right.
0: Okay. So what's the second one?
1: Yeah. So the second one is this, you know, we live in dangerous times. We live in a culture where, you know, masculinity, true masculinity, biblical masculinity is uh, is uh, vilified. And uh, we live in a culture right now that says, hey, if you are this cancel culture garbage, if you are a white male, a Christian male, you are the ultimate oppressor. You know, if you're a, if you're a white woman, you're oppressed. If you're a black woman, you're doubly oppressed. If you're a black lesbian woman, you're triply oppressed And this crazy world. And it's all pointing to men. And so as we climb this mountain, the second point is fighting apathy. We have to fight against the things that cause, that want to push us back into complacency. Apathy is losing the ability to feel. So if I were to pull out my knife, I could come, I could take and start cutting off the calluses on my hand. And even though it looks really cool and gross, I don't feel a thing because there is no feeling in a calloused hand. That's interesting. Mm. If you spell the word calloused for the hand, it's C-A-L-L-U-S. Over a heart, it's C-A-L-L-O-U-S. You see, a calloused hand is, is great. It protects me from injury, right? It it, it, it gives me a, a, an extra layer of protection. But if you put a callus over a heart, that man loses the ability to, to feel for and care about the things he should deeply care about. His marriage, his family, his church, his community, his legacy. These things go away if a man doesn't care. And we live in a world, Mark, where 40% of kids are born out of wedlock. And of those 40% that are born to a married couple, 50% of those will see their parents get divorced. And of those 50%, 50% of those won't see their dad for an entire year after the divorce. So we live in a world where the dads don't care about their kids. They are apathetic. And it's gotten so bad, Mark, that whenever I'm in public and I see a dad who's engaged with his kids, I literally will walk over there and go, thank you for your service. (laughs) (laughs) You are giving your kids a legacy that no other kids are going to give them because, dad, you're here in the picture. So thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, we have to fight against you know, Black Lives Matter. I don't want to get political, but this is you know, I went on their website and they are anti nuclear family. That's yep. in their mission statement. Yep. And I'm like, how could I ever support a mission statement that is anti the man and the nuclear family? I just will never do it. Yeah, and so and as a uh,
0: that, and that's also anti God. If you're anti family, you're anti God,
1: it's anti yeah, Christ. And so, so I can either sit back and go, you know what, I'm just gonna shut my mouth and do my thing or I can say, you know what, I'm going to fight against these things that are pushing men down the mountain. I'm a big dude, buddy. It's not easy for me to climb a mountain. I've got a lot of gravity and a lot of beef pushing me down. It takes resistance, but it's that resistance that makes me stronger. And so we're telling guys, guys, listen, man, it's hard to have a great marriage. Do it anyway. It's hard to raise a great kids and leave a godly legacy. Do it anyway. It's hard to serve in your church. It's easy to be anonymous in the church pews. But get in the church and serve anyway so that's what we're asking you guys do do the hard thing yes make decisions against yourself
0: 100 continue to climb that mountain fight against that resistance because i think that one of the biggest things that men are affected by today is complacency apathy we get yes. stuck in our comfort zone And, you know, we, maybe we have a a decent income and things are good. You know, why do I need God? Why do I need to push myself outside of my comfort zone and everything's just fine. And you do that long enough. And that's when you become victim of apathy. And, and that's when Satan, I think can sink his teeth into you. And that's what we're seeing across the world.
1: That's so true. Hey, men of men of Sioux Falls, men of South Dakota, men of this country, comfort is the enemy. I'm telling you right now. Comfort is the enemy. Do not live the comfortable life.
0: Mm, amen, brother. Okay, we got to push forward. What's the third one?
1: So now, so far, we haven't talked about Jesus at all, right? If you're like a guy who doesn't believe in God, you're like this. This is awesome. But the apex of manhood, the summit of manhood, man, the time when you put your stake in the ground. That is what I say pursuing. God passionately. And it comes from the Greek word dioko, where Paul says, I press on. It's a hunting word. It's a track word. It means to pursue or chase after. And I believe this, Mark, and I know this is controversial, but I believe I have a real simple theology, and here it is, that you will never be the man that God has called you to be, the ultimate man, your best version, without radical surrender to Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I'm saying radical surrender to Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. Galatians 2.20 stuff, man, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's when a man truly surrenders, man, he puts his stake in the ground and he raises the white flag and says, I surrender. You know, I, I think there are a lot of guys out there that are great men. I mean, honestly, great men. But without Jesus, they will never be their best version. And even if they achieve great things, they're going to point back to themselves as accomplishing it and not Jesus. He wants to put his men on display at the top of the mountain so that we can put him on display. And so my theology is very simple. You know, Jesus is the ultimate alpha male. He says it himself. I am the alpha and the omega. How could we ever live our best version without radically surrendering to the God? who created that version. He's the one who knows our original design. So we have to follow it and we need radical surrender to do so.
0: hundred percent in every dark corner of our lives. That means Uh, what we, what we watch on the computer at night, who we're talking to when we're not in front of our wives, what we're talking about, how we handle our finances, like everything across the board.
1: Yeah. That's the hard part, right? It is because, because we are going to fail but it's bouncing back after failure that really matters. Can, do we bounce back? Do we have that ability to bounce back?
0: Yeah. So, and yeah, absolutely. You touched on another interesting And in, in the fact that there, there are um, very great men out there who are not Christians and guys hearing that who aren't Christians might latch onto it and be like, yeah, I'm just fine. I can, you know, look at what I've done in my own life on my own and to your point, they, they treat themselves as their own lowercase g god, right? Yeah, and I think sure. that that's what we're seeing in society as a whole. Just, we're treating humankind, mankind, as, as our own god, and we're not looking to the one true god. And I think we were made, I'm getting off track here, but we, we were made to pursue god. It was just baked into our DNA.
1: Absolutely. And people
0: try to substitute Absolutely. it with all these different things, drugs, alcohol, sex, you know, gambling, whatever, go down the list. And not that all of those, some of those things are bad, but you know what I mean? Like we, we, yeah. we invent our own God to substitute the fact that we should be pursuing the true God.
1: Yeah. And we don't even realize the idols that we have put ahead of God. I mean, I would ask guys, listening to this podcast. Are you surrendered to Jesus Christ? Let me look at your bank account. Yeah. Your bank account will tell me if you're surrendered to Jesus Christ or not. Let me look at your watch. Where are you spending your time? That will tell me, let me look at your phone. Let me look at your text threads. Let me look at your time on social media. There's so many determinants that would tell me, man, let me look at your uh, your bank account. You know what I mean? These things. So it's a it's constantly uh, keeping ourselves in, our, in checks and balances because our desire, our propensity, I should say, is to walk away from God. I mean, that's our propensity. There's so much in the world. We have to every day just get up and say, I'm going to run to you, Lord. I'm going to run to you.
0: 100%. Okay, this next one, um, I'm excited about. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, this is really, you're, you're, you're a sweet spot, man. <laughs> so, so what I have found, I was a pastor for 25 years, and now uh, we run this nonprofit Christian ministry. But what I noticed in the church, it was really interesting. So guys would get to the top of this. They would come to Christ. And they, you know, they have this moment and they truly have this moment, this summit, this apex, this top of the world moment. And then I, I noticed something because men are so, um, we just don't know what to do next. So we take our kids, we go, I need to go to church. So we take our kids, we take them to church. We maybe enroll them in Christian school. You know, we we just let the church disciple our kids. We defer leadership. And a man can defer everything except final responsibility as a spiritual leader. And so I was a carrying a buck out of the hills in my 20s, and I was sliding all over the mountain. I had this, we had these two, my buddy and I killed this, this buck. So we got half and half. And, and he, I remember he leaned over and he goes, Jimmy, I go, what? He said, hey, nose over toes, nose over toes. And so it was, as soon as I leaned into the mountain slope, I got traction. And that people don't realize on Mount Everest every year, more people die on the descent than the ascent. And so we think the descent is cruise control, man. I gave my life to Jesus. All is easy. And no, man, this is when it gets hard (laughs) because now you've got to navigate the rocks and you've got to navigate the slope and you've got to navigate the pending weather. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, yes. Take your kids to church. Yes. Have your kids in youth group and children's church. Yes. Go to a marriage class with your wife, but you are the guy who's in charge of discipling your kids. And this is where guys get nervous. They go, okay, Jim, what do I do? And so what I used to do, Mark, is I would tell them all the things I did as a paid Christian, as a pastor. And I realized I can't do that. Mm. So what I would tell your guys who are going, okay, so what do I do as a spiritual leader? And I would say this, this is deep stuff, Mark. Are you ready? Ready. I'd say do something, (laughs) anything. Something is better than anything. In other words, let's say you don't pray for your meals start praying for your meals. Let's start there, guy. Let's say you're praying for your meals, but you only have meals once a week or twice a week. Let's go, let's try to do this every, you know, five nights a week. You know, one of the things I'm doing now is whenever I go to a restaurant, I tell the waitress, Hey, I'm going to pray for the meal and I'm going to pray for you. How can I do it? We've had some radical experiences with waiters and waitresses. So I've taken it to the next level because my kids are out of the house now. So I've got to do something to be a spiritual leader for my wife. You know, do you read the Bible with your wife? No. Okay. How about this? How about getting a Bible study where they read the Bible? And then the next step maybe is read the Bible once a week to your wife. Just take it. Go go in steps. What happens in the church, Mark, is pastors try to brag about things and overwhelm people. And guys just go, I can't do that. And they check out. And what I want to tell guys listening is this. If a pastor says he reads his Bible every day of the week, that means four to five days. If he says he works out every day of the week, it means four to five days. If he says he prays his wife every week, it means four to five days. If he says there are 300 people in your church, it means 175. So so just just take it with a grain of salt because the reality is usually not what is painted. And I'm not saying pastors are liars. I'm just saying pastors will sometimes use some hyperbolic statements to, to motivate. And I think sometimes it works against guys. So I would just tell guys, man, do something. You're a guy listening to this podcast right now and you don't go to church. Come on, bro. Yeah. That's so easy. You get in a car and you drive five blocks and you go to church. Yeah. It's so easy. So then to, take it a, say,
0: to take it a step further, that specific example, don't just go to church. Don't rely on the church to feed your family. Like continue to feed your family on your own throughout the week. Right. Don't well, rely. So, don't yeah. rely on the school to raise your kids right?
1: I agree a hundred percent, but I would say this though. I just want to caution that uh, if a guy's listening, who doesn't go to church right now, he could be overwhelmed by that statement. And okay, I would, true. Let's, I would say, bro, it's like, a, it's like a fat guy. A fat guy wants to go to the gym on New, Year, New Year's day and work out five days a week. I'm like, listen, fat guy, you bet you're fat. So start one day a week, do that for six months, then go to two days a week. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we yeah. want to give these guys something that they can actually accomplish. Cause I, you and I both know what they need to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a great uh, point. Great point of clarification. Yeah.
1: yeah. Cause I agree with you hundred percent, but you're talking of varsity ball, man. Yeah. You've got a guy who's barely made the freshman team.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that is a good point. Hey, here's a, here's another way to lead your family tell your son, you've got to mow the yard today. Heck my, yes. M- my son is mowing the yard right outside my office window. So I don't know if you guys can hear this through the microphone or not, but I apologize.
1: Oh, I heard it. I heard it. Well, here's the, yes. Yeah. Hey, park your bulldozer keys and park your helicopter keys a miles away and let your kids figure it out for themselves. There you go. (laughs) Walk them through their failures, throw the participation trophies away, and let your kids figure it out. They will do it. You did it. Yep, 100%.
0: (laughs) Okay, so wrapping up this list of five, what's the last one?
1: Yeah, so the last one, and I'm just going to confess this to you, Mark, it's kind of a chip on my shoulder. In 2000, I, I noticed something in ministry that, How many pastors that I served with are no longer in the ministry? In fact, many of them have fallen morally, and I realized I started thinking about that part, and I and I started thinking about life, and I started thinking about people who I used to know who were solid believers who aren't walking with the Lord anymore. And I had an experience in 2012 that deeply impacted me. My father, my stepfather, who I was very close to, took a gun that my wife, my mom, I picked out for him for Christmas, a Remington Model 700, 270. BDL, and he put it under his chin and blew his head off. <sighs> and so he left the world with an exclam- uh, with a question mark. We, a lot of questions. Nobody really knew why he did it. Nobody understood the cause. He just was gone. After 38 years of marriage, it, he was gone. And so I, ha- I had the responsibility of getting the gun from the sheriff's department, cleaning the blood off the gun, selling the gun. And I kept the box in my office as a mnemonic device to finish strong. You know, in the Bible, in John 19.30, I've, I've got a couple pet peeves. Here's one of them. In John 19.30, if you have the right Bible translation, and I only use the ones that have this certain thing, when Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished, he did it with an exclamation mark. Now, some Bible translations put a period, and I just think that's a wrong interpretation. I think it's very clear to me personally that he screamed out from the cross in a brave heart mannered, it is finished, screamed it out, finished strong. So I believe this fifth point is simply this finishing strong. And guys have asked me, how do I do that? And my guys, like your guys, the, our target is these guys in the stress bubble of life. These guys with kids in the home, they're trying to raise their kids. They're saying, how do I leave an inspired legacy? How do I finish strong? And guys, here it is right here. This is why you came for this podcast. When you get home at work, five o'clock, six o'clock, and you're tired from a day of work, guys. Listen, your day has just begun because your legacy is gonna your legacy in life happens between the windows of six to nine. That's when it happens. What are you gonna do in that window? Are you going to finish that day strong or are you gonna finish that wrong? Are you gonna put a put down your remote and pick up your kid, get off the couch? And, and get out and hug your wife. Or you, that's the, that is it. And if you can finish today strong and tomorrow strong and every day strong, compounded over time will equal not only a strong life, but a strong legacy that's been inspired by you. Mm.
0: That one stung a little bit, man. I needed to hear that because as a business owner, it's very, and I work from home, it's very easy to work past 5 and bleed into those that 6 to 9 block. And yeah, it's just it's too easy to do and and so many guys do it. I'm guilty of it. I know a lot of guys who are as well. And I would say that's just practically speaking, get a handle on your day. Plan your days because if you don't plan your days, somebody else will plan them for you or they just turn into a big dumpster fire and you just run out of time and you run out of time for your family. You've got to bake time into your days and your weeks for your family and be really intentional about it.
1: Yeah. You and know, I, I don't tweets. have that
0: figured out fully. I'm talking to myself in the mirror right now.
1: <laughs> no, I, I I've been there, man. I tweeted something the other day. I had this revelation and I tweeted something. I think you'll really appreciate based on your vision. And here's what I tweeted. You will be, re- what will be put on your tombstone is what you put to the grindstone. Mm. So, and Lee Iacocca once said, um, "I'm," what he said, "I've never met a dying man who said I spent more time at the office." And yeah. so, I would encourage the guys listening who are who want to leave a legacy that those people who will be at your bedside the day you cross over into eternity, those are the ones that you want to leave a legacy for not the guys you work with, the people who are going to come and weep at your funeral. Those are the ones that you want to fight to leave a legacy. And you have to do it between this window of six to nine. My kids are out of the house now, and I am blessed to say I am reaping the rewards of doing that window very, very well.
0: Mm, good for you, man.
1: Yeah, it was hard. It was so hard. It is yeah.
0: hard. Yeah. it's uh, And it kind of circles back to some of the earlier points, right? Keep climbing, be intentional, swim against the current because society is going to pull you in all kinds of directions, right? Hey, go out and play golf with the guys, go out and have some drinks, you know, do this, do that. And it becomes very, very easy to compounded with just work demands to, to let your family and the things that are most important in in life, take a back seat.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Yeah, you're absolutely right.
0: Well, man, I've got a slew of additional questions, but I feel like we're, this is kind of a, maybe a good point to um, come to a close. We've we've talked about legacy quite a bit. Well, before I get there, I don't want to wrap this thing up without giving you an opportunity to talk specifically about your ministry. Oh, okay. Men in there in the arena. So for those listening, watching who aren't familiar with that, tell us a little bit about men in the arena.
1: Yeah. our, Our vision is to trust Jesus Christ with building an army of men in the arena who are becoming their best version in Christ and changing their world, because we believe when a man gets it, everyone wins. So we believe that that best version in Christ, that best version comes through Christ, that apex, that summit. And so we do certain things to help guys get there. Our ground level, if we're going to use that mountain illustration, is really our podcast, which last year had guys from 122 countries download it. Our our Facebook forum, which has 11,000 men from 100 countries in it. That's really foundational for us, and those are totally free. We send a, an equipping blast out every week that just a, the pure desire is just to equip guys. And then we've written uh, several curriculum books and we're launching a bunch of virtual teams right now uh, in the fall where guys can go to our website and sign up. We have an assessment for guys to kind of grade where they are within those five categories. And then we put, them, we put them into small groups or they can buy our resources and start small groups. And that's really our desire because once they go through that, we believe that they're gonna get into that best version and at the top of that mountain for them is now they're going to go change their world. They're going to go back and serve and love and do the things that you and I have been talking about. So that's really our desire for guys.
0: Mm, I love it, man. So where can people go to connect with you, connect with uh, Men in the Arena, and keep track of what you're up to and, and even the next book coming out?
1: Yeah, totally. So so if they just Google Men in the Arena, we're going to pop up everywhere. Uh, our Instagram account has about 9,000 guys on it. Men in the Arena, uh, Twitter. If they want to reach me personally, I'm at Jim W. Ramos, they can reach me there and, uh, you know, get involved in our forum and join, get involved there and, and, uh, and whatever we can do to serve others. We're all about collaboration. So we like other, we like to partner with other ministries and put them on display because we think this is a, a big battle that we can't fight alone. We need guys like Inspired Legacy to partner with us and all around the world, man. So yeah, we love collaboration because we believe in God's kingdom.
0: I love it, man. Powerful stuff. Okay. We've talked about Legacy quite a bit. Throughout this uh, conversation, a lot of guys have different things that come to mind when they think of the term legacy. But if you, Jim Ramos, were to leave an inspired legacy, I'm curious what that means to you.
1: Yeah, we started the the podcast today, and I didn't plan this. It just happened with John 1010, which is my life verse, which says, I have come that you may have life and live it to the full or live it abundantly. So God has called me to an abundant or a full life. But the first part of that verse says the enemy comes to steal, and it's a progression. Steal and kill and destroy. So he wants to steal your relationship with your kids. He wants to steal, you single guys listening, your virginity. He wants to steal your integrity. He wants to kill also. He wants to take you out physically. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill your marriage. He wants it divorced. He wants to kill your relationship with your kids. But ultimately, he wants to destroy you. And that is a big deal because what happened in the Old Testament, when a new king would come in and take over, he would oftentimes destroy the previous king's lineage, completely wipe them out. And so this is really serious. Satan is after your forever. He wants to take you out, but the thing he really wants to take out, he wants you to be the last Jesus follower to ever be recorded in the book of life. And so I know that fact and that's crazy to me. And so because I know that Satan wants to destroy me and my kids, it gives me a renewed passion to make sure that my kids are coming with me up the mountain. And so I use that illustration. I'm going to go down. I'm going to grab my kids, the trailhead. I'm going to bring them up to the mountain with me and I'm just never going to stop. And so my kids, uh, the illustration I love, cause I'm a visual guy. I, I imagine putting a big rubber band, you know, those rubber bands you can work out with. Yeah. I actually did this with my kid at church one day. I put it over his head and I said, now, when my son begins to pull away in his teen years or his adult years, I'm only going to let him go so far before the tension causes me to engage back with him. And so I've lived my life with this, where my kids are doing this, where I'm constantly engaging. I do not let my kids get disengaged from me even as they're adults, because the worst, the toughest time to parent your kids spiritually is that 20 something range. It's not when they're younger and they can obey you because I said so. And so I want to make sure that I guard my legacy spiritually by putting that rubber band over my kids and pulling and, and, you know, kind of letting them go their own path, but then reengaging with them because I realize what the enemy's plans are. And I realize that for me to live a full life, I can't live it unless my kids are with me.
0: I love that visual, man. It's, uh, this has been a really great conversation and I cannot stress that enough. This has been really good guys. I want you to go out, check out this book, strong men, dangerous times, uh, go seek out Jim on social media, check out this book, Jim, man, uh, appreciate your time and consider yourself booked in the spring when your next book comes out. All right.
1: <laughs> hey, hey, I gotta tell you, Mark, uh, before we go, just tell your listeners, uh, you do an excellent job. I've been on a lot of podcasts and I just want to tell your listeners that you do an excellent job and I'm very, very impressed. And so your listeners are blessed to have you as the leader of their tribe.
0: Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Guys, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation, share it with a friend and subscribe to the show so you don't miss future episodes like the one you heard today. And be sure to check today's show notes for all the ways you can stay plugged into the Inspired Legacy, including my free download called Nine Ways to Be a Better Dad. You can sign up for my free weekly devotional called Inspired Inbox, and you can join the private Facebook group, a community of other like-minded men looking to become the best husbands and fathers they can be. So get plugged in. Like, subscribe, leave a review, and help more guys find the show because we need more men battling together for the sake of the next generation. Until next time, live inspired.